0: You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The more important behavior is just having a good amount of skepticism when you deal with anybody who calls you or asks you for your information. You need to vet those uh, exchanges before you ever send your social or your driver's license or your social security card to a stranger.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Got some good stories to share this week, and later in the show, Blake Hall is CEO and co-founder of a company called IDMe. We're discussing protecting your identity online. All right, Joe, uh, before we dig into our stories this week, got a little bit of quick follow-up here. Mm -hmm. I heard from a listener named Rafa who uh, wrote in and said, uh, for those that don't go into two-factor authentication for fear of losing their phone or don't want to have a separate device such as the YubiKey you mentioned on your podcast, the alternative I'm using is the iOS password app that's inside settings on all iOS devices. Mm-hmm. It keeps passwords and also generates the temporary 2FA codes for all the logins supported by Google Authenticator. So that was news to me. I, I, I was certainly aware of um, the password manager that's built into iOS. Right. And it's quite good and it's quite secure. Uh, But I did not know that it had the capability to generate the uh, Google Authenticator codes. So that's that's news to me, and
2: that's good. The Google Authenticator codes are actually... I mean, it's just, it's an open standard. Anybody can implement it. Yeah. So you can use Google Authenticator or obviously the the Apple password app or Microsoft Authenticator as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Rafa goes on and says, the difference here is that it's linked to your account, not the device in which the app is running. That way you don't lose access to your other accounts. If you lose the device, you just have to start a new session in another iOS device and your two-factor is
2: back. So Apple's, Backing up seeds in the cloud, maybe?
1: Yeah, that's what it sounds okay. like to me. It's it's tied to your iCloud account, I'm assuming. I don't actually know that, but that would make the most sense. <laughs> well, I have
2: both uh, Google and Microsoft Authenticator on my phone. Uh-huh. And I'll let you know when it comes time to upgrade my phone, which will be soon, Dave, because right. look at this poor thing. it's <laughs> It's got, the back is missing. Yeah. The screen is cracked.
1: Yeah, it's, Not many people carrying around Motorola flip phones anymore, right. Joe. Yeah. But for you, uh,
2: I <laughs> guess it's, if it still works, why replace it? Right. That's right, Dave. It's a Google <laughs> Pixel 3. And I, I have to replace it because they're ending uh, support on it next, uh, ending security updates in the first quarter of 2002. So if you have a Google Pixel 3, time to get a new phone. Yep. I'm yep. not... Explicitly saying, get another Google Pixel. Um, I actually am not very happy with my Pixel 3, but I may very well get the Pixel 6. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. All right. Um, I I also wanted to uh, hat tip to Ben from Microsoft, my friend Ben. uh, He works in security out there. He Hmm. uh, listened to us talking about how I've gone to the uh, Microsoft Authenticator for. Logging into Microsoft. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I may have, I think I bemoaned that I couldn't use my YubiKey. And he said, There is a way to use your YubiKey with your Microsoft account. Oh, okay. So you can do that.
1: All right. Well, good to know. Yep. Good to know. All right. Well, let's jump into some stories this week. I'm going to kick things off for us. Uh, my story comes from a motherboard mm-hmm. over on the Vice website. This is by. Joseph Cox, who uh, we lean on regularly for stories, <laughs> he's—I uh, keep saying, especially over on Caveat Ben right. and I. Uh, really, re- you and
2: Ben are frequently, yeah. talking about how much you use him.
1: I know we need to send him a gift <laughs> basket because yes. he really does supply us with lots of good stuff, and he's—he's a, he's a, you know excellent journalist. Um, this article is uh, titled "The Booming Underground Market for Bots That Steal Your Two FA Codes." Mm-hmm. So, of course, you and I talk all the time about how two-factor is one of the best things you can do to protect yourself. Yes. So this story is about uh, people who, for example, uh, they're minding their own business, going about their day-to-day life, and they get a phone call from PayPal's fraud prevention system. Right. And it's an automated call. Hmm. So it says, hello, you. this is PayPal's fraud prevention system, you know, that sort of thing. Right. Right. Uh, and uh, in this case, the example they use here, they say someone tried to use a PayPal account to spend about sixty bucks, according to the automated voice. And PayPal needed to verify the identity in order to block the transfer. In other words, this is PayPal calling you in your interest because their system has detected attempted fraud. Right. And the uh, the bot says, in order to secure your account, please enter the code we have sent your mobile device now. Uh huh. So you get the code as a text message. Yes. And then the bot says, thank you. Your account has been secured and this request has been blocked. And then—
2: Well, actually, I know what then is already. Well, no, there's one more then before <laughs> oh, I'm going to let then. you okay. chime
1: in. Yeah, with, right. with what's really going on here. But the, the, here's, here's the kicker, okay? The, it, the, the bot goes on to say, don't worry if any payment has been charged to your account. We will refund it within twenty-four to forty-eight hours. Uh, Here's your reference ID number. You may now hang up. So what's going on here, Joe? Well, what's, uh,
2: <laughs> what's happening here is these scammers have got a um, have 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 built a an automated system. Yeah. That will uh, attempt to log into your your account, your PayPal account. So these guys already have your PayPal account login information. Right, right. Uh, they may have your your username and your password, or maybe they're just going through the password reset algorithm mm-hmm. or, or workflow, rather. Yeah. Uh, that's probably what they're doing. Uh, and they have your, your cell phone number, so they know your email address and your cell phone number, and that's probably enough information to make this scam work. Yeah. So, I haven't ever done the password reset workflow through PayPal. Yeah. Uh, because I use a password manager and don't have to. <laughs> right? Right. Uh, so, I can easily see PayPal using SMS as a second factor authentication for when you forget your password. Mm-hmm. We're going to send you a code. So these guys go to your go to your, go to PayPal. They enter your email address. They mm-hmm. already know your phone number. Then before they say reset your password, they start the call, mm-hmm. and then they say reset my password, and then you get the text from PayPal that's actually from PayPal, right? And they. Then you give them the code, and they reset your password, log in, and transfer money out of your PayPal account.
1: That's right. That's exactly right. Yep. That's exactly what they're doing here. Uh, What's interesting, though, about this particular scheme is that by using these bots, these folks don't really have to have any social engineering skills. No. Right? No, they don't. They're playing off of the fact that we are accustomed to interacting with bots. Right. Right it was not, uh, it doesn't necessarily raise any red flags to get a call from a bot from a big provider like this. In fact, I would say it, it legitimizes it
2: right? because
1: yeah. big organizations like this, banks, credit card companies, whatever, we're dealing with bots with them all the time. And you, know, you call to get a new credit card, you call in, who do you talk to? You talk to, talk a, bot. to a bot. Right. right. <laughs> so, uh, it sounds like that. And, um, so these are services that people can buy. So it's uh, scamming as a service. Mm-hmm. People can uh, buy time on these services, and they make use of a couple different technologies. Uh, you know, the ease of access to uh, phone, uh, you know, phone numbers and that sort of thing. Being able to spoof the caller ID, all that sort of thing. Right. Um, and uh, and away they go. So I guess um, what I'm curious about is. How do we prevent this? If if um, if you're using multi-factor on PayPal and you tell them you don't want to use SMS, that's probably going to go a long way towards protecting you from this, right? Because if you're using a YubiKey or something like that as your second factor,
2: yeah. You know what? I'm gonna. I don't know how you do this, um, because I don't know what the what the password reset workflow looks like. Right. for PayPal. I don't know how, because it could include an email address, right? They could email yes. you something, but then these guys will just ask you for the email code. Right. Um, they continue to social engineer these codes out of you, and that's one of the weaknesses with these codes, even the one-time passwords that are time-based that you get from a product like we were talking about earlier with the Google Authenticator or those other uh, other products. Yeah. Those are all capable of, of being asked for, mm-hmm. and, and they're human-readable, so you c- so there's a human in the loop, so that's vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: if you, the, the ones I like, for example, with my password manager, uh, one of the the second factors there is if I try to log in somewhere, it just buzzes on my phone. When the little thing pops up and says, is this you? Yeah. And I just hit yes. Yes. And that's it. It yep. doesn't ask for a code. Mm-hmm. It's using the fact that I have my phone in my hand right. as the second factor.
2: Yeah, that and that's... Also not perfectly secure as well because if somebody did a SIM swap on you, which is labor intensive but not impossible, mm. then they would and then they installed the um, the app. Well, maybe I don't know. It depends on how secure you are from the beginning.
1: Yeah, because I don't think the app really has anything to do with my right. phone's SIM. I think the app is tied, you know, to yeah, my phone's on the internet serial number or yeah, whatever. So yeah. I don't know. But That's a good question. It's tricky. <laughs> it is tricky. So for our listeners.
2: Support Run, DM, run DMC.
1: <laughs> for our listeners, I suppose the take-home advice here is, of course, as always, be skeptical. Be skeptical. Right? Just because it's a bot doesn't right. mean it's not uh, someone behind that trying to scam you out of something.
2: The best best um, policy here is not to give out information on inbound calls.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: yeah. You know, hang up and log into your PayPal account and then, or call PayPal customer support. I don't know. Does that even happen? I mean, I've never had to deal with anything via PayPal before, like anything going wrong and I had never had to call their supports, their mm-hmm. support people. Yeah. Um,
1: they I, exist. I they, don't think they're easy to get through to. Right. But they exist.
2: <laughs> I had to get, I had a, a problem with an Amazon order just yesterday. Yeah. Um, And it took, it took like three calls or it, it The amount of searching I had to do on the website. I mean, these big tech companies, they're great and they make our lives so much better. But when something goes wrong, it's terrible.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It can be. yeah, That's for sure. That's for sure. All right. Well, again, uh, that's a story by Joseph Cox over on uh, Motherboard uh, from Vice. And we will have a link to that in the show notes. Joe, what do you have for us this week?
2: Dave, my story comes from Ozar Malik over on Cool Tech Zone, Hmm. which is a... uh, a website that has apparently cool tech stories. (laughs) He's talking about a new warning from Avast about uh, fake sugar daddies. Hmm. Okay. So the story talks about a young girl in her early 20s and how she almost got scammed while she was scrolling through Instagram. Hmm. She got a DM that was an older man who said he was looking for a sugar baby Mm -hmm. to send 1,500 euros per week to. Mm -hmm. Right? And... What, he, what she does is go, oh, well, that's very interesting. I'm, 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 I'd like to receive 1,500 euros a week. And he says, well, I need to, need to find out that you're legit so I can send you these payments via PayPal. Uh, so if you could send me some money, here's a fake picture of me, right? It, mm-hmm. it was obviously mm-hmm. fake. Here's a picture of me. Uh, I need you to send me some money via Google Pay so you can be verified, hmm. right? Uh, and, of course, the idea here is the scam is very simple. Uh, somebody presents a uh, a young woman with an opportunity to collect large amounts of money, mm-hmm. uh, and all they have to do is verify the fact that they're legit by sending this person some small amount of money.
1: Mm. Now, what was this person promising in, in return? Like... 1,500 euros a week. But what does he get out of it?
2: Uh, that's a good question. He says he's a widow just looking for someone to talk to.
1: Oh, okay. Right. All so, right. Uh,
2: you know, I don't know about you, Dave, but... Um, I think it's it's kind of unusual for a, for an older man who's widowed to be talking to twenty uh, something year old women looking for someone to talk to. I think so, but um, uh,
1: if I ever find myself in that situation, I'll I'll report back to you. Right? Hopefully, it'll never come to that. <laughs> Hopefully, it won't. Yes. <laughs> uh,
2: once she realized, once she heard that this was uh, that this guy need, wanted money to send to her, she immediately blocked him. He was fake. Yeah. Uh, but they lure in the victims through DMs, and they gain some trust. So they may start building rapport first. Mm. And then they offer free payments, but you have to verify. Once you send them the money, they disappear and they ghost you. That's the end of it. Hmm. Uh, this article has the one rule of thumb <laughs> that we've, we we often echo here. If something sounds too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. It's probably <laughs> right. a scam. Right. Uh, ignore the unknown messages when people DM you. Um, you know, I, I I started a Skype account the other day because I needed it mm-hmm. for uh for something because I couldn't get my other Skype accounts to come up. But no sooner did I open that account than somebody messaged me out of the blue, some mm. random person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't I don't know it's it's on my uh, work PC and I haven't been there in a few days, so I, I I'm interested to see what's going on on that one. Yeah. Uh, the other thing they point out is free money. Uh, nobody really wants to just give away fifteen hundred euros a week. <laughs> right right it's <laughs> right. just not going to happen yeah uh if you're if you're if you're going if you're getting these offers that should also raise a red flag mhm and it could also be uh something more dark and sinister which i would advise you stay away from uh, under all circumstances yeah right
1: yeah Hmm. you could see though how somebody could get drawn in by this because it's a combination of you know, if if you are, I mean, you know, for a lot of people, especially young people, right? You know, money's tight, right? Times are tough, and yep. so you, you hit have the right this,
2: person at the right point in time, right, right? And
1: you have this sort of double whammy of someone who's offering to uh, ease your pain financially, but also they're showering you with compliments. You know, you you look like such a a kind person. You right. look so trustworthy. You know, I'm sure they say, oh, you're beautiful. You're, yeah, you're, you're so nice. young. You you remind me of my, my wife when she was young. Yes. You know, that sort of thing. And so, as you said, they they build rapport and they really um,
2: wear down your defenses. Right. And so this is one of the things we talk about is that the younger people are actually more susceptible to being scammed. And it's because of their lack of experience. So imagine you're a young person and someone has approached you. They say they find you attractive and they they start building this rapport and they say they want to send you money because you seem so nice or whatever. Maybe they're looking for some sugar babies to send money to.
1: Right. I just uh, want to help you out. They just want
2: to help you out. Yeah. But they need to verify you. I mean, if if you're a young person who's never been exposed to this kind of a scam before, you may very well fall for it. Yeah. Now, fortunately, uh, these scams are not going to be that damaging for younger people. They're going to lose a small amount of money. Uh, they're not going to lose millions of dollars. Right. Mainly because they don't have it. Right. But um, they can still lose enough money to not make rent. Yeah, which would be very impactful.
1: Well, and you could see how somebody could make a living doing this. Oh, if absolutely. I can, if I can make fifty bucks an hour, you know, just uh, churning through this sort of scam, that's a living.
2: Yeah. You, one of the things you have to remember is a lot of these scammers live in countries where the average income is thousands of dollars, a couple thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Right. So if I can scam people out of fifty dollars a day. I'm doing really well there.
1: Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, a cautionary tale, and uh, I suppose uh, particularly worth reminding uh, the younger people in your family right. <laughs> that these things are out there, and uh, they just need to be mindful of them so they don't inadvertently get drawn in.
2: Uh, when your kids start getting online, the first thing you have to tell them is not everybody is who they say they are. Mm. That's mm-hmm. really got. That was one of the first things I told my kids. Um, and it's, it's gotta be one of the first things you tell your kids when you, when they get a phone, just say, you know, you verify everybody you're talking to.
1: Yeah. Cause on the internet, nobody knows you're a dog. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Joe, those are our stories. It's time to move on to our
2: catch of the day. Dave, this week I actually put together a stringer of the day. Okay. It's a fishing metaphor. All right. You get it. You ever go fishing? Use a stringer when you catch I, a bunch of fish. I fishers?
1: have. Uh, yes, I have gone fishing. I don't know that I've ever used a stringer, but I know what it is. Okay.
2: So it's uh, a lot of people lately have I've seen a lot of these uh, in meme form and in uh, on uh, in picture form on Reddit and places like that. They're impersonating celebrities, mm. and this first one is coming from Lady Gaga. Ooh,
1: I like Lady Gaga. I think she's the real deal.
2: Oh yeah. Well, this is not the real Lady Gaga. <laughs> Why don't you read this first? One. This is this. pretty good. Hey,
1: it's Lady Gaga. I need one hundred forty-five dollars to continue working on my new song.
2: Ra ra ah ah ah. <laughs> That's awesome, isn't it? Yeah. Lady Gaga needs $145 to continue working on a song. Yeah. This is one of the most successful artists in the world.
1: <laughs> Lady Gaga probably has $145 in her couch cushions.
2: Right. <laughs> and she needs your help. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Okay. This Who is else? this one's my favorite. This one's from Jeff Bezos. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I love it. Read it. Hello,
1: it's Jeff Bezos. <laughs> you win special giveaway for $10 million. All
2: me needed credit card info. Okay? And the guy responds. He says, hold up. How do I know this is really Jeff Bezos?
1: <laughs> and he sends back a
2: picture of a guy. He sends back guy, a picture of a bald guy in a tuxedo. Who is not, this Jeff, is not Be- Jeff Bezos. not
1: Jeff Bezos. No, doesn't. I, I mean, <laughs> the only thing he has in common with Jeff Bezos is they're both bald, and I guess they both probably own tuxedos. Right? But other than that, <laughs>
2: anybody who's just seen a picture of Jeff Bezos, this is not him. That's not Jeff Bezos. <laughs> it's, I've, I love I. I I love it. All me need it. Credit mm-hmm. card.
1: Yeah, all me mm. <laughs> right.
2: All, right. all right. One One more. One more. This okay. is from Dominic Monaghan who okay, uh, slides into somebody's Twitter's, Twitter DM. Who's
1: Dominic Monaghan? He's not an familiar. actor. He's an actor? Yes. Ah, all right. Hi, thanks for your likes and comments on my official page. You are welcome to my private page where you can chat with me for free. You can me personally on Hangouts. Please don't share my private Gmail with anyone. This should confidential. Dom, and then it has the email address <laughs> at Gmail.
2: Right. That's, that's the whole scam. Yeah. <laughs> it's, okay. Uh, it's uh, – it, the person replies, is this for real? Because I've had a lot of fake celebrity accounts contact me to last a lifetime. hmm hmm So obviously this person is suspicious, but it, it's obviously not for real. Yeah. Uh, these, are, these are great. Yeah. I like, can
1: imagine someone who – you know, it's – it, have you ever had an interaction online with one of your favorite celebrities?
2: One of my favorite celebrities,
1: or just I, some, you know, celebrity that you admire, or you know, that you have. You ever had the delight of having some sort of interaction with a celebrity you admire who you never thought you would have the opportunity to interact with? I have, and and it's thrilling.
2: I have, I have had some interactions with uh, with some music acts, but yeah. they're not that big. Okay. So they yeah. they use social media to interact with their with their fans. Right. So right. yes, I have had that, but not with. Uh, not with anybody major.
1: Yeah, well, it's thrilling, and yeah. and and because of that, that's again, that's where you get your your defenses get short circuited. Oh, I did, did have
2: Kevin Smith like one of my tweets once. There
1: you go. See exactly. <laughs> there you go.
2: <laughs> that was that was the highlight. That was of my thrilling, tweet right?
1: Creator. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're you're walking on air for the I next was. couple days. Yeah. Of course, I
2: mentioned him in the tweet though. <laughs> 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 and it was about something he had written in a in in a uh, in a comic book trade I had. Mm-hmm. It, it was quoted as the the comic book being uh, being one of the most important comics of all time, and he liked the tweet. And I was like, Ah, Kevin Smith liked it. Yeah, well, there it, you go. You're right. It was it was the star power was uh, was yeah. uh, mesmerizing, and
1: that's what these people are taking advantage of. That's right. All right, well, that is our catch of the day. We would love to hear from you. If you have something you'd like for us to cover on the show, you can send us an email. It's hackinghumans at the cyberwire.com. All right, Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Blake Hall. He is the CEO and co-founder of a company called ID Me. And uh, we uh, covered uh, so various uh, bits of ground on mm-hmm. uh, protecting your identity online. Here's my conversation with Blake Hall.
0: Last June, we worked with zero states. And uh, today we verify identity for 27 states that represent uh, over 80% of America's population. And, and that's what my company ID me does is we verify that somebody is who they're claiming to be. Um, And the reason why we were adopted so quickly was just because there was an overwhelming amount of fraud related to the stimulus aid. And I'm happy to talk uh, about how some of the cares act stimulus changed the way that unemployment benefits are distributed uh, in the United States.
1: Yeah. Can we dig into that? I mean, what makes this a particular target? Why is this so attractive to the bad guys out there?
0: Sure. So in traditional unemployment insurance, um, you have an employer who can work with the state workforce agency to adjudicate an employee's claims. So usually traditional unemployment fraud is eligibility fraud, where an employee and an employer might disagree on the circumstances that led that person to leave the company. And then depending on what's actually true, or they could corroborate it, benefits are, are paid out. So there's a natural control against fraud, if you will, in that the employer is involved in the process as well. When the stimulus hit, and as part of the CARES Act, there was a new program that was created for unemployment benefits called the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program, or PUA, for short. And what PUA was designed to do is to help self-employed workers, uh, members of the gig economy who drive for Lyft and Uber and Instacart. And what that meant was any identity, any person could simply claim that they were self-employed or a driver for a sharing economy app, and they could immediately begin to uh, receive benefits to the tune of five, $600 a week. Hmm. And of course, if you stack the weeks from like March out till October or November, because you can backdate claims, you start talking about debit cards that are being mailed out with $20,000 on it. And, um, and criminals have never had an opportunity to just take one stolen identity and turn it into 20 grand. And it, it became their super bowl for organized crime around the world and also here domestically.
1: I'm intrigued by the history of people being able to identify themselves for these sorts of things. It seems to me like the social security number itself has kind of, uh, you know it's it's not the secret it used to be, right?
0: yeah, well, I think the way that we think about name, date of birth, and social security number um is like an address in the yellow pages. It is useful to uniquely identify one person if you have you know a common name like John Smith, you know, or Sally Jones or something like that. Uh, there's going to be a lot of Americans who share the same name and date of birth, and so the social security number is useful to say whose unique identity is being claimed, like which John Smith, which Sally Jones. And that's, that's a term in identity that's called identity resolution, hmm. resolving one identity and separating it from all others. The problem is like just knowing somebody's sort of legal identity address doesn't mean that you're them. And that's where it sounds simple, but that's where a lot of organizations get it wrong but just because you know somebody's information and they're, and that they're unique, that doesn't mean that the person who knows that information is that person. And that's the difference between validation and verification. Validation is saying, we're talking about this specific John Smith. Verification is saying, okay, John, show me proof that you are this John Smith. A phone with tenure, a government ID, does your face match the photo and the government ID? Has that been altered? Does the address history for this person match? And does that also tie back to the address tied to the phone and tied back to um, to records? And so that was the piece that was missing with this program initially in that states were largely just taking it on an honor system that if you knew the name, date of birth, social, you were that person hmm. and they were distributing aid because they're running on 1980s technology and none of them were nearly equipped to do any kind of remote digital identity verification. And, and once fraudsters realized that, and once the weeks began to stack $600, $600, $600, you had an amazing profit opportunity from their point of view with virtually no security to stop it because you can buy all these breached identities you know, from, from all the various breaches in the dark web for pennies or dollars.
1: Well, help me understand uh, what an organization like yours brings to the table here. Why a third party to help manage this sort of thing?
0: What's different about us, and i'd I'd really you know give credit where credit is due is uh, there there are a lot of subject matter experts on security and privacy at the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIst. um, it's an agency of the Department of Commerce. And these people are super smart. I mean, they do everything from like the strength of the, the laser on your DVD player to make sure that it's strong enough to read the content, but not too strong that you know, would punch through the disc. Truly like super smart people. And so NIST publishes standards that say, here's the right level of uh, confidence for verifying a consumer's identity when interacting with the government for government benefits. And they lay out these technical and policy controls that you should meet before you say, yes, like this person is John Smith and is therefore eligible you know, for unemployment if, if they're claiming that they're self-employed. Mm. And what we really proved is that those standards are effective. Uh, a lot of states were using either just validation or they were using a process known as knowledge-based authentication, a question and answer process. And unfortunately, there have been so many data breaches that bad guys can answer those questions faster than humans can and, uh, and they'll launch bot attacks. I mean, they, they can only really answer them faster, they can literally like load up like an ammunition in a clip all these stolen identities. Uh, they have bots that can solve for the interactive question and answer process, and they can just defraud these government agencies at scale. And we certainly saw that in many states that suffered from bot attacks as criminals patterned what the application process was. And so NIST, several years ago, back in 2017, said, hey, this question and answer process is no longer an effective tool. It's hard for legitimate users to pass. It's easy for bad guys to pass. But a lot of organizations still use it. What we've done differently are two things. We, we meet those standards. The standards are effective. Uh, and then we also offered a relief valve, um, a video chat solution that lives on top of our self-serve process so that if you moved, which a lot of people uh, do during a pandemic, if you lose your job, you're much more likely to, to leave home and, and to go back home with family. And, uh, and when that happens and your address changes, a lot of the traditional records validation sources will be out of date because you don't live there anymore. And so video chat, which just virtualizes what an in-person interaction with an ID card would be, was an incredibly important tool for access uh, to help people get through that maybe don't have credit history or moved recently or changed their name, where their information is is listed inaccurately in records. And because of those access and security capabilities, we had states tell us that as soon as we went live, neighboring states that didn't use us saw their fraud rates double literally overnight. And that's that's how you go from zero states to 27 in about 10 months.
1: Hmm. And so the the way that this works is the state works with you to to sort of handle that part of it. They say to the folks who are applying to these things, if you if you come through this third party provider, then it, you know it's going to streamline things, and and we will know that you are who you say you are. Do I have that basically right?
0: Yeah, that's that's right. Uh, they're they were running nineteen eighties you know cobalt technology. They they don't. They didn't stand, you know, a chance. Any one of the states at building their own technology stack with uh, machine vision and face biometrics and telecom and device verification and fraud and device intelligence and multi-factor authentication. That's just all a SaaS solution. And and we are in the era, you know, of SpaceX and NASA. These great public-private partnerships. So we're a federally certified identity provider they plugged us in and said, yes, you can apply for this program, but first we need to verify that you are who you're claiming to be. And uh, a number of states did that in September and October. uh, And then the federal government actually required it by law in December of last year uh, during the second round of the CARES Act stimulus.
1: And how do we be sure that we're not dividing folks into the haves and the have-nots, that, you know, having a this additional step isn't some sort of, uh, you know, burden that folks who already might be in a, in a position of need uh, might be an extra step that makes it harder for them.
0: Well, the reason these standards exist in the first place is that if you want access and equity, there has to be harmony between security and access up front. Because the, the long-term effects of saying, hey, we want to distribute the aid and we just want to get it out the door, we're not going to verify identity at all, mm-hmm. that actually dramatically decreased access over the long term because criminals were just filing in mass in these other people's identities. And when that actual person needed the aid themselves, they would often go to file, and there's a lot of stories about this, and find out that the criminal had already registered their own identity before them. Mm. And when that happens, they are completely blocked from their benefits. And um, and these call centers are overwhelmed and they could go, you know, days or weeks without even getting through to somebody at the call center. And even when they get through to the call center, a human being isn't able to like effectively adjudicate which application is the criminals and which application is the real persons because criminals will also use these member support channels and, and use a technique called social engineering to trick state employees and target them that way. Hmm. So if you don't get the security right up front, you actually reduce equity and access because criminals are able to claim your identity before, before you are. And if they're being paid out in a state and the states talk to each other, they'll say, sorry, Dave, out of luck. Yeah. You know, to put that in context, when we went into like California on October 1st, California's agency was completely shut down at the end of September due to fraud for two weeks. Virginia had to shut down in April of this year due to fraud prior to our introduction. Arizona had 570,400 new pandemic unemployment assistance claims in a week. This is a state with a population of 7.2 million. The week before our introduction, the week after our introduction, 6,700. And as these fraudsters learned the system and they moved horizontally, they began to attack traditional unemployment insurance uh, and just flood the zone and overwhelm these like small business owners with paperwork that they could never hope to respond to. Like two, 300 employees at like a five-person pizza shop and then knowing that the states would pay out claims before uh, letting a backlog accrue. And so the fraud metastasized to even, you know, the traditional UI programs and, and outside of the, the new stimulus program. So it's a new persistent threat that's not going to go away. But it's important to put in context, many of the agencies we work with had completely shut down. They were they were not functioning at all prior to our introduction because the fraud was so overwhelming they couldn't distinguish fraudulent applicants from legitimate applicants. So, you know, in those states and the, the timelines, like right there, we were the critical tool that allowed them to open back up in the first place. And, um, and that's the reason why.
1: And what happens when a fraudster tries to make their way through
0: your system? Sure. I'm sure you've experienced that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, this last, uh, you know, 15 months or so it's been unbelievable. I've never seen fraud Anywhere like this? I mean, even right now, the rates targeting some California, Arizona, Nevada, some West Coast states—they're they're fifteen times the rate of fraud that we see at the Internal Revenue Service. Hmm. To put it in perspective, um, in terms of fake IDs and everything else, there are three types of fraud. There's first party fraud, and that's you are who you're claiming to be, but you're clearly not eligible for something. And th- these are folks who will like get packages from Amazon, and then they'll say. I never received the package. I want my refund. And they try to keep whatever they ordered, plus Mm. get their money back. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You have second party fraud and second party fraud is, is somebody who's in a position of trust or agency that abuses that position of trust. It could be a spouse. It could be a doctor. It could be an orderly who works at a nursing home. And in fact, we saw that as well um, earlier on. And this is actually, I think an investigation that's happening right now in Pennsylvania Uh, You had orderlies taking mentally challenged people into the bathroom and attempting to speak for them off camera and to use their identity documents to, to file for unemployment uh, to, you know, just really, really awful stuff. And then you've got third party fraud. And so third party fraud is, uh, you know, somebody, you know, taking um, stolen personal data and then claiming to be uh, some, you know, somebody else. And yeah, we saw a, a ton of that. A full, you know, anywhere from like twenty to thirty percent of the the people that were actually trying to verify their identity uh was just pure third party fraud. And then we see about 10% of the attacks, probably more now actually, uh, because we've we've shut off the third party fraud. So they're they're moving to like trying to scam victims to helping them. Uh something called social engineering where They'll tell somebody that they've won you know, prize money or they're going to get a job. Mm-hmm. And this is almost the convergence of third-party and first-party fraud, where criminals, once they're not able to use like stolen data to verify identity anymore, they'll engage in these elaborate cons and scams where they literally have scripts, and it's like a boiler room where they convince different folks that they won prize money or a romance scam or that they're going to get a job, and they harvest their personal data and they collect their government IDs, and they convince them to click links and take selfies. And that's kind of where the fight is at right now, that um, we are extremely effective at preventing folks from identity theft. But protecting, you know, you from yourself is, is a pretty tall order, although we have a lot of controls in there that we've built in. It's cat and mouse to pierce the scam, to let these folks understand that they're being tricked. So we'll send text messages during the verification to say, you know, hey, this verification is for Indiana DWD, or this is for Georgia DOL. So that really disrupted like prize money scams, because it'd be like, well, you know, or romance scams, because it'd be like, well, why, why am I verifying, you know, for a state workforce agency that's dissonant with whatever the attacker is telling them. So then the attackers change their methods and they move heavily towards like job scams, which could have some plausible relationship to a state workforce agency. Then what we do is after the identity has been used, similar to how a bank will notify you of suspicious activity in your credit card, we'll text you and say, your identity was used at this government agency for this purpose. Here's the email tied to your account. And so now victims have the opportunity to say, no, I don't recognize that email. No, I didn't authorize that use. And, And a lot of the same tactics you see in payments are there, but um, but that's that's a different ball game because the actual owner of the identity is taking the verification steps. They've just been tricked into cooperating with the attackers.
1: So, what are your recommendations here? I mean, for folks who want to do a better job of protecting their own identities and try to you know, prevent these fraudsters from from borrowing
0: their identities, um, what are some of the steps they can take? Sure. So, you know, the, the first thing um, you you can do credit monitoring and and things like that. And there's, there's some identity theft protection services that are out there that that's certainly something that, that everyone can do if they just want to kind of understand what's going on and get alerts uh, if their identity is being used in a particular way. The more important behavior is, is just having um, a good amount of skepticism when you deal with anybody who calls you or or ask you for your information through social media, you need to vet those uh, exchanges before you ever send your, your social or your driver's license or your social security card to a stranger. And some of the ways that you can do that, I mean, one, no legitimate organization will ever ask you for like the six digit code that's texted to your phone hmm. or for your sensitive information over, you know, Telegram or WhatsApp or or even like Google Chat or whatever. And if you are, you know, in in the process of getting a job, if you think that that's true, you should validate that directly with the official business line of the business and their HR department to make sure that you're actually engaging with an authorized representative of the company and that they're aware of it Um, because these criminals are exploiting all this move to remote work and hiring where the in-person interactions are less frequent. And so there just needs to be a little bit of um, of vetting and validation, ironically, that that folks do on these offers before they just blindly start to send out their information. Because some of these con artists are really, really good and persuasive. uh, But at the end of the day, if you just go back to the source and the business itself, you can find out whether it's legitimate or not.
2: Joe, what do you think? Our response to the pandemic changed so much of our daily lives. Mm. The first off, whether whether you agree with the lockdown or not, you cannot argue with its impact on on the economy and on the situation. We had a huge unemployment issue right And that opportunity for unemployment insurance fraud that was presented was massive. yeah. Blake says bad guys could turn one stolen identity into twenty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. That's a lot of money. <laughs> uh, it, of course, it's delivered via debit card, right? Right. And you could just go and take the money out of uh, out of uh, out of a, 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 a an ATM mm-hmm. and walk away with cash.
1: Yeah, yeah. We had several uh, of my coworkers got uh, you know their identities got hit with this. Right. In other words, we got a notice from the state of Maryland where we live saying is this person unemployed and and you know our hr folks are like no they're they're they're, they're employed right. this is a scam right and but you know you got to fill out paperwork and all that kind of stuff so but but i guess it was impressive with how many, how much the state was getting hammered by right. these applications.
2: And what Blake says is um, is interesting about this. The impact this has on the individual people mm-hmm. who, uh, let's say that they, you don't lose your job until a couple months into the pandemic, right? Right. Now you go to apply for benefits and somebody's already been collecting benefits on your behalf for the past six months yeah. or three months or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you're out a specific amount of benefit and now you have to go through the unimaginable nightmare of calling uh into your department state's department of labor, whatever the equivalent is, and not having your call answer because they cannot answer all those calls. Right. Yeah. They're overwhelmed as well. They're overwhelmed as well. Yep. Uh you know, when we talk about these guys getting twenty thousand dollars for one identity, sometimes I feel like a chump for not doing these kind of
1: things, Dave. <laughs> it's So it's so <laughs> it's really tough having ethics, isn't right. it, Joe? Yeah, it is. <laughs>
2: It's tough being a morally upstanding <laughs> yeah. guy. Uh. Watching these guys walk away with the money. I think that's one of the reasons that this makes us angry, right? Is that we're like, these guys are actually getting away with this money. And yeah. it, I mean, not only do we, not only do we feel wronged by it, but we also feel like we missed an opportunity. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> oh, oh, to be a sociopath. Right. Oh, to be a sociopath. <laughs> if only I had no conscience. Right. Right. Blake makes a great point about validation and verification. They are two different things, mm. um, much like. Uh, I I draw an immediate connection in my mind between authorization and authentication. Mm-hmm. Right. Are you are you who you say you are and are you allowed to do this? Uh that's that's authorization and authentication. Uh and I'm I'm mixing those up backwards, but validation is uh is this information correct? Verification is is this person the person I should be speaking to? Mm. Um I want to touch on something. We already talked about this a little bit, but Blake says that a lot of these uh these states were ill-equipped for handling this situation. They're running on technology from the 80s. And he used the term honor system for applying for these benefits. And what do you do then? Paying the fraudulent claims so that legit claims are not unduly delayed mm-hmm. may be a valid decision,
1: yeah. right? I mean, yeah. it's
2: wasteful, right? Yeah. But yeah. the consequ- what are the consequences if you don't do that? Right. It's uh, it's 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 an unfortunate decision we all had to be put in. All these state governments had to be put in recently.
1: Yeah, yeah, in the midst of a public health emergency.
2: Right. Yeah. Uh, knowledge-based authentication has never really been a good solution. As Blake points out, it can be hard for legitimate people to verify the information. But thanks to the massive amount of data breaches we've all experienced, it's not only uh, easy for these bad guys to get the information and pass these tests – they can now automate it,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which is amazing to me. Yeah, uh, Interesting artifact of using a service like ID.me that Blake is the CEO of is that that pushes the fraud out into neighboring states,
1: right? Mm-hmm. These, these
2: criminals are not going to walk away from the money.
1: Right. Yeah, and I guess ultimately it gets everybody to up their game, but right. it's not all going to happen at once.
2: Right, especially when you're talking about state governments mm-hmm. in uh, in a country like like the United States, where where the federal government doesn't do everything, you know, you think of smaller countries, yeah, and their federal government can handle a lot more because they don't have to take care of the world's third largest population, right? right. right. Um, so we rely heavily on our state governments to do this. Well, that's a very disparate system, yeah, and uh, you know there are certainly advantages to it, but because of the nature of our uh, system of government, it makes this kind of thing possible, you know, where one state has a a system and another state doesn't.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, our thanks to Blake Hall for joining us. Again, uh, the company is IDMe, and we do appreciate him taking the time. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. We want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening.